Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, once again, it is time for a Patreon giveaway. If you're a member of our Patreon, you are automatically entered in these giveaways. If you're not, sorry, you're not a part of it. Uh, but to join it, all you got to do is uh, hit the link in this podcast description, and we got a link down there that'll bring you straight to our Patreon page. You can check out the different tiers and everything that we got on there. We got some videos and everything uploaded. We're planning on doing some Patreon lives here pretty soon. And uh, this offseason, we're going to get back on the GPS stuff, and we're going to really hammer down on it. It's going to be fun. So appreciate everybody supporting us on Patreon right now. Y'all are making a huge difference. I mean, y'all are literally putting food on Jacob's table right now, so we really, really appreciate that. Uh, and so a way to say thank you is just these monthly giveaways. So I'm just going to go ahead and run down this list really fast. Um, so we'll get started with uh, Backwoods Grind Coffee. Uh, they got $25 worth of stuff. 
Those two winners are Barrett Hall and Ronald Coyne. Ronald, I hope I said your last name right, buddy. Uh, appreciate it, guys. So y'all are the two lucky winners. Reach out to us on Patreon. We'll get with y'all. Um, next, Backwoods Mobile Gear, $75 store card. Ace Rice is the winner of that one. Congrats, Ace. Uh, next up, JX3 Outdoors. Uh, Ted Thrash, you won a prize from JX3 Outdoors. Uh, next up, Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Um, that would be Mr. Marty Bartram. You just won something from Out on a Limb. Congratulations. Uh, mobile Hunting Gear. So, Mobile Hunting Gear, they're giving away some custom stick talons. Um, the winner of that is Taylor Gullet, I think. G-U-L-L-A-T-T. Taylor, I apologize if I butchered your name, man. Sorry, I'm terrible with these names <laughs> running down this list. But So, you are the winner of the Mobile Hunting Gear Custom Stick Talons. All right, and then last but not least, we got a very nice, pristine Cash River Leather Custom Leather Rifle Sling. That's going to Mr. Drew Sayer. So congrats to all of our winners. Um, again, appreciate you guys reaching out and supporting us on Patreon. It makes a huge difference, so can't thank you enough for that. If you'd like to be entered in one of these giveaways for uh, for in the future, go ahead and make sure you go check out our Patreon page. We got a whole bunch of giveaways going on over there. We got some more coming up in the coming months. We're going to be adding some more people to the Patreon program, as long as, as well as some other stuff that we're just going to chip in ourselves as well. Probably some merch and and some other gear and stuff that we're just going to purchase for ourselves to throw in. But again, thanks guys. Now, without further ado, let's get into this episode. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Things are a little bit different this week. Uh, Outro was delayed from Wednesday to today uh, for several reasons, but... Uh, if you're not used to listening on Fridays, this is when we normally do a listener success story. So if you've been missing those, I'd highly recommend going back and checking out some of those. We've got some awesome stories from all kinds of folks who have killed some really nice bucks using stuff they heard on the podcast. They're fun, entertaining, and also you can uh, you can learn how to better apply the tactics. But today, we are talking to none other than the ginger gunslinger, the ginger big buck slayer himself, who just killed a nice buck in Iowa. So Jacob, how are you doing? Oh, dude. Cloud nine. Cloud nine. <laughs> Doing great, man. 10 out of 10. 11 out of 10. We're doing great here. So we got a bunch of people in this uh, in this virtual room. Uh, some of y'all are in the same room. We also got the Killadilla, Michael Pike over here. Michael, how are you? I'm good, man. Just, uh, you know, coughing my head off. <laughs> yep, I heard that. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? And then we got the Perry brothers. We got both of them. So, Michael, how are you? Great. Enjoying this Iowa life right now. Pretty amazing out here. Got my brother with me. Got him to take a little leave from from the army to come out here and help us scout and uh, back up drag team. Matt, how are you doing? Doing outstanding. Loving this nice cool weather. <laughs> it's a little bit chilly up there. A little bit chilly for sure. That is. So uh, today we're going to talk about obviously Jacob's buck. We're going to be talking about y'all's trip up there, kind of what y'all seen, and we got Michael on here to kind of talk about Michael's trip as well and uh, talk about some of the differences between the two because. Michael, you went for uh, the shotgun season, didn't you? Yeah, second shotgun. And uh, that was what, early December? Uh, Yeah, I think the 11th 
through the 17th or 19th. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I think at the end of the 19th. The 19th because the, the muzzleloader started the 20th. So. And so, Jacob, what about y'all's hunt? When did y'all's hunt start? Uh, actually started December 20th and runs through January 10th. But we have not been up here for that full time. So, uh, we got up here. I got up here a couple – I guess a day and a half or so before you guys got here. I got up here uh, – it was last Wednesday, the last Thursday. I can't even remember the date now, to be honest. I think you got here Wednesday and we got here Friday evening. So. Yep. So, um, but we've been up here for a little while. Been up here for uh, – I guess tomorrow it'll be a week for me. Um, so, but just kind of laugh half the hunt. Finally actually was able to time some pretty good weather. You know, because good weather is not like, oh, nice pretty weather. It's, uh, you know – brutal weather that's going to get bucks on their feet and we absolutely timed that uh had a couple days negative 20 wind chills negative 20 wind chills it was pretty eye-opening whoever uh come up with the phrase dry cold yeah okay dry cold my tail it's dang cold so <laughs> when you hit that zero whatever it's cold i don't care if it's dry wet whatever it's cold Man. that's a big difference uh from what we experienced we experienced record highs one day 72 wow well that means that we had a high of 40 yesterday i yeah, think so that was the warm day yeah so yeah and that's it that's it there there what there will not be any more 40 while we're here it's gonna be high i think 30 something one day the rest of it's gonna be i think tomorrow's high is gonna be eight so with a like a zero to nine or something like that so but Good buck weather, as as so they say. So, so that's kind of how I want to uh, roll into this whole conversation. Is uh, Jacob? Uh, I want you and Michael to kind of bounce off each other here, and I want y'all to talk a little bit about the weather, but also some other factors between y'all's two hunts that have kind of led up to everything. And then, and then, Jacob, we're gonna roll right into your big buck story after that. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, well, I guess we can kind of hit it off, Mike. We can kind of just bounce back and forth with the difference of like kind of seasons when it comes to the, like these different units. You know, you got your main archery season, then you've got a first shotgun, a second shotgun season, and then your late muzzleloader season. So you and Clay Harper drew that second shotgun hunt and, uh, you know, kind of came up with an idea in the game plan. Y'all came up here and this, it seemed like the weather was fairly milder than the one big snowstorm y'all had on one of the first days. But, you know, what was some of those conditions when y'all came up here and we'll kick out and bounce that off from what we're dealing with? Yeah, so I, I drove up uh, separate from Clay and uh, Nick. Um, Nick was uh, Clay's friend from Georgia. Um, I got up there, I guess uh, our season opened up on the Saturday, and I got up there kind of midnight on Wednesday night. And so um, – I started basically scouting and driving roads on Thursday morning and um, saw, you know, quite a bit of deer that morning, um, that evening. Uh, I noticed that you don't see any deer after dark, like for whatever reason, which I think you got a little uh, knowledge on that later on, but was not seeing any deer um, really at dark, like you'd think. then uh, we got the snow on Friday, and Friday, it it really Thursday evening and Friday, I saw, God, I, I bet I saw like 60 deer um, just in, in the evening uh, on Thursday, and then on Friday morning, like it was ridiculous the amount of deer moving, um, especially before that, that front hit, like that Thursday evening, like, I mean, there were just like, 
groups of like 20 deer in the field like it was crazy it's unlike anything i'd ever seen before um but after that snow fell uh each day it seemed like it just you saw less and less deer um and uh and towards the end of the trip i mean really i mean unless you were in the woods uh you were really weren't seeing any deer and as far as bucks um just maybe like two or three shooters uh the day of this like before the snow got there and then the, the next morning when the snow got there and fell uh i saw some decent ones but then after that it's like your sightings basically plummeted um we would see uh bucks maybe about like 5 a.m uh the last three days i think each morning we saw deer moving like 5 a.m and uh other than that it was just a, a bunch of dinks yeah and i guess another thing that's worth mentioning is uh the different habitat you know it's i've come to realize i was a lot more diverse than i thought it was um just kind of previous i don't know perspectives of just kind of assuming a lot of things so a lot of these units you have like there's a lot of waterways in iowa we come to realize like small rivers and, and creek systems and you got a lot of public land around those kind of waterways and then you have some stuff that's up in more like hill country and our unit of course has a little bit of both that you get some you know kind of you know creek river bottom stuff and then you've got more kind of more hilly uh, almost more like kind of mountainous um you know topography so you have a little mix of both which is kind of interesting because you can kind of hit it from different angles now i think from some of the information perry that you got and along with mike i think you and clay you know had some people talking about you know hey maybe you need to try those hills first and see what the hills are doing you know some big bucks coming out of the hills and you know kind of going from there uh, which I think that's something that y'all focus a lot on at first was like trying to figure out those hill units and trying to figure out, you know, is there any, you know, quality bucks here, but also what the hunting pressure is like, especially during that second shotgun hunt. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the knowledge that, that I'd gotten from everybody else, which I'm a procrastinator when it comes to planning, uh, especially on these out of state trips. So usually I'm last minute. Um, everything that we had heard was, you know, to focus on the hills. And so we'd all kind of, nailed down one unit uh we everybody we talked to said that this one unit didn't get driven as much by driven i mean like you know people in groups you know trying to drive deer and um so i went up there and hung several of uh, mr perry's cameras and you know found deer bedding like where they're typically bed at um really wasn't seeing the buck sign at all up in the hills um no matter where you went like it, it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of sign there um compared to like you know here back home or even in missouri probably missouri has was the most buck sign i've ever seen you know in certain areas and so you know i got up there and i started talking to locals and i was like so i hear this is where i should be for big bucks and you'd hear well well, not really. I mean, I've heard of this other place that was better. And then you go look at that place and like run into somebody and they're like, well, not really. Uh, this other place is, is better. And it seemed like I was chasing around uh, those mountains uh, looking for, you know, big bucks and big buck sign. And really, I just wasn't finding it. Um, and then uh, Clay decided, hey, why don't we go check out this river unit over here? And once we got down there, which was like the last three days, um, 
it was just covered up. There was deer everywhere. There was buck sign everywhere. Um, but um, that's also like when we had those uh, 72 degree like day. Um, like it, it warmed up a lot after that first snow. So like a majority of our trip um, was, I guess, average or, you know, above average. Uh, we had tornadoes one day that the last three days, um, you know, hundred mile per hour winds. It was like a once in a lifetime event. So it was, uh, very different as far as our experience, I think. So, yeah, and we haven't seen, we haven't had any of that. I mean, we've had some high winds, but nothing close to that, but just so much colder temperatures. Like when we got up here, I left Alabama on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, which, uh, Andrew, maybe if you get a second, you can see what the actual date was last Wednesday, but, um, left Alabama, it was 73 degrees. And by the time I got to Northern Missouri, it was 25. And I was like, wow. Okay. You know, this is something else. So left on the 29th. Okay, cool. And it was also one reason I left on that Wednesday is because we had that really good cold front pushing through, uh, kind of Friday, Saturday. So I wanted to kind of get here a couple days before to be able to scout and, and look for some spots. Um, but just seeing that temperature switch was, you know, pretty amazing. Cause again, you come from Alabama, like, you know, hunting December and 70 degrees. That's uh that's not that fun, even though, cause a lot of guys are like, Oh man, you can't kill a deer, you know, in t-shirts, but you can, but coming up here, dude, being prepared, I brought every piece of freaking clothing I had, just knowing how cold it was going to be. And, uh, and also having a listener, um, Randall Eric reach out and over the summertime and talking to him a little bit about how cold it's going to be. And he told us back in July that, Hey, you know, especially late muzzler, you gotta be prepared for, you know, potentially all the way to like negative 30 wind chills. Um, and you know, from a boy from Alabama, that's, I've never even heard of numbers like that. I'm like, I thought we had to be up in the Arctic circle for that kind of crap. So, uh, and we got negative 20 the third day or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Eye opening for sure. Good (laughs) Lord. Yeah, it's the kind of it was the kind of cold that pair. I think you said like walking around just made your head hurt. It made my head hurt. And muck boots and minus twenty wind chill do not work. I don't care how fast you walk, that rubber turns to ice. So it was god awful. <laughs> I do not want to be out in that anymore. We walked around for about two hours, and I thought I was going to die. Man, but yeah, muck boots don't work walking around with minus twenty wind chill. So. But it's been eye-opening. I'm, and Michael Pike was laying late with the people we talked to and stuff. I talked to several folks before I come, and someone was saying, hunt the hills, hunt the hills. And right before I, we got to come up here, I talked to some another guy, and he was saying, no, you need to go to the bottoms. When that wind changes and it gets cold, you're you're better off hunting the bottoms because there's more thermal cover and stuff like that. So we, that's what we've been concentrating on out here. And it's we've had plenty of sightings, you know, some good bugs and i think my brother seen a monster one yesterday so we're in the game but it's it's a little bit tougher because of the prior pressure which especially affected michael pike and him so it's a it's a different thing because uh with the rut being over you got to find the food where they're at and you can't really mess with them where they're bedding because they're bedding by the food so morning hunting is pretty risky so we're concentrating on evening hunting say lunch to dark and we're we're seeing quite a few, but as far as the local guy, Randall Eric, was saying that the chance of getting a monster buck after the rut is slim to none because they don't they don't move in the daylight. They don't have too much pressure, so the rut's all the way. They're just laid up and eating at night. So 
So we're 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 looking for something decent and uh, Jacob's done set the bar, you know, pretty amazing. So he's seen eleven bucks in a one sitting and I've I've never seen anything like that. I think I've seen six one time and they're all pretty much young bucks, so that's pretty amazing. It's, it, the, um, the terrain out here is very unique, and the pinch points and funnels is amazing. I, I can't imagine what it would be like during the, during the rut because there's plenty of places you could you could hunt for three or four days, and there ain't no telling what you'd say by the rivers and stuff because a lot of places that are funneled down that we would love to have at home. So it's an amazing part of the world, and we're having a blast, and it, but it is cold. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you're, you're right about the funnels. That's one thing we noticed, especially some of these smaller, like, river bottoms and stuff, is, like, you know, when you have a field close to, like, one of these r- little rivers or something, dude, that little tree line going down that riverbank, uh, you talk about an awesome funnel, dude. They're, they're not going to walk right in the middle of that big old field, dude. Uh, it's super amazing. Again, y'all were finding some awesome sign. I know Matt found some awesome pinch points, too. It's, like, one of those things that, you know, if you're hunting during the rut, it'd be a totally different game compared to, like, what we're trying to focus on now, which is just that food. But, yeah, Mike um, – you know, I learned a lot this week uh, being up here and talking to some locals too about like that second shotgun hunt and just how much pressure can be had on that hunt because it rolls in just after the first shotgun hunt. And after talking to one of the taxidermists up here that caped out my deer, he was telling me he's like, dude, you know these these old boys around here they don't they don't give them you know any days off during the gun season. You know, it's every day you know trying to fill a tag and uh, just a, a lot of man drives and everything else. And I forgot you know even with straight wall cartridges. I forgot you could have an AR-15 or really an AR-10 platform at the, um, the the 350 Legend or 450 Bushmaster, and I didn't even think about that. And he's like, yeah, the guys are out there with those suckers, dude, just, I mean, pushing deer through fields and just, you know, trying to kill what they can uh, with their tags. So, you know, rolling into that second shotgun hunt, dude, that's a lot of pressure already on those deer that really kind of push them from the, out of their, their normal patterns for that time of the year, which is tough. Yeah, so I didn't know what the – you know when the first shotgun season actually ended but after getting up there and and looking at the everything and talking to everybody it ended two days before ours uh either started or either maybe when i was scouting one day like there was only like a two-day gap if i'm not mistaken and yeah the, there was definitely a lot of pressure and the deer didn't seem to you know it didn't seem to bother them as much when it was really cold and that snow was, you know, coming in. But other than that, it's like, you know, you'd catch them at the, the last, you know, hour of, of daylight. Um, maybe like the first hour, uh, you know, coming back and, and bedding down or one day I had a coyote run through and it, you know, run a whole herd of deer about five yards from me and they just stood there, um, uh, like, unless something like that happened or, or you walked up on them, you know, in their bed, which happened, you know, a number of times, that was about the only time it seemed like you were going to see those deer up on their feet. Yeah. And one thing I think you told me about was, especially when we got that snow was the issue of, uh, especially in those hills, like just the hill country, you know, how open it could be. Like when that snow was on the ground, I mean, deer would be busting you from a, a long distance away, you know, once, especially when the snow was on the ground, they could just see so far and, uh, one thing Randall was talking to me about, he's like, dude, you know, if it's snow on the ground, you could, he's like, go to Walmart and buy you a, a white painter suit. And I'm like, what? He's like, dude, get your white painter suit, oversized, put it over all your camo and walk in with that. He's like, it's amazing how much more you can get away with having that white suit on uh, versus wearing your camo when you're walking in and walking out. Uh, and I was like, hey, you know, that's, that's a pretty interesting tip. He's like, when you wear, and even the tax said the same thing. He's like, you wear that white suit, even if there's just a little bit of snow on the ground, he's like, they don't even pay attention to you. 
So that kind of gave me a new pers- – yep, that's what he told me. He's like, dude, and that, that made me think, like, dude, if we ever draw this tag again for, like, one of these later hunts, it's like just, I'm going to have one in the truck already like, before I come up here just in case we get some snow. Um, because he's like, dude, that's, like, the best camo. Like, you get snow on the ground, that oversized white painter shit you get from Walmart for, like, 13 bucks Over all your camo, dude, that's, like, the ticket, especially if you're going to be slip hunting or anything like that. Of course, you're going to have your orange around it. But uh, just having that white on you just really makes you could just kind of blend into the whole background, even if there's just a little snow on the ground. So, so kind of getting into your hunt and everything. Uh, so the weather's a lot different. Like conditions are a lot different. You had the rut. You had all bow season. You had the rut. You had the shotgun season coming in. So these deer have seen a lot of pressure. Uh, Jacob, what was some of your tactics kind of leading in? You know, what what were you doing when you hit the ground running? you know, trying to find where you were going to find a buck that not only survived, but one that's coming out in daylight to a food source. Yeah, and I'll say this, you know, a lot of these zones out here, you know, depending on what zone you get drawn for, are pretty good size. I mean, there, there's really not that many small zones uh, that I've seen in Iowa. Uh, and our zone is, I mean, just like that. I mean, it's got, you know, we get pretty good amount of ground that you can cover. And, Michael, you and Clay were kind of focused on one port, uh, one portion of it, Um kind of towards like the northern end of the zone and you know had y'all's experience and i was like man you know y'all had tons of pins and tons of places y'all been to but i was like man there's stuff in more southern in the southern part of the zone that's like, man y'all don't even look at this i'm like i really want to check some of that stuff out and you know if it doesn't look good then maybe i'll go north to kind of some of the spots that y'all had already looked at so that was kind of my first thing and to be honest i, I was telling perry this you know i came into this hunt like very just Happy go lucky, as in just like not a lot of pressure. You know, if we shoot a deer, great. You know, I'm not trying to come up here to shoot a you know an absolute giant or anything like that. I just want to have a fun time and have fun. If we get opportunities, we get opportunities. If we don't have opportunities, you know, it's just a good experience. Um, and I kind of really didn't even look at the maps until I was in Missouri driving up, and I started seeing a couple of, a couple of spots in our zone. And I decided, like, you know, when I was in Missouri, I was like, okay, you know, in a couple of hours when we start working our way up into the zone, I'll try to figure out, you know, where I want to get to and, and where are some of those first places we want to stop at uh, once we kind of get up to, our, you know, our hunting area. And there was a couple areas I just saw right at the map. I was like, man, these look really good. Um, and both of them were just kind of in and around some of those uh, little river systems and everything. Uh, one, again, was a little river system um, and had some – it looked like on the on the maps a bunch of like marsh and a couple fields in and around the marsh, so I decided that was one of the first places to stop to. Got there and got up here around uh, two three o'clock in the afternoon, and just threw all my gear on, took the muzzleloader with me just in case. Ran in there real quick to check one of these fields, and it was kind of back in there, back off the side of the swamp, and uh, it was a fresh cut cornfield, and it was just awesome sign. There's tracks everywhere in it. I mean, fresh cut like you could see when they had dropped the combines in there, and probably in the last week or so. Uh, and all the guys' boot tracks probably working on all the equipment, getting everything set up. And, man, I'll tell you one thing. A fresh-cut cornfield looks like the ultimate, like, it, well, Alabama you can bait on private land, but it's, it looks like a complete baited field. It's cra- There's corn everywhere on the ground, like just everywhere. It's like golden nuggets, okay? <laughs> and uh, it was that was exactly what it looked like, and there was just deer tracks everywhere. There were some good rubs. And I was like, okay, this is definitely a spot I think we could kill one. So it was a pretty good-sized field, about um, you know, five, six, seven hundred yards long. Uh, running down the side of the river. So I was like, man, this looks this looks good. So marked that spot. I, I felt real confident with it because, uh, especially with the cold front coming in, uh, just how the bucks, you know, presumably were bedding in that area, in and around that swamp, that marsh, uh, with all these other deer coming into that uh, that field. 
it would just work so well with that front that was going to be pushing through. So backed out and then went to another spot I decided to check, which is another, you know, little river spot. And um, hiked back in and, and was kind of figuring out, you know, if there was still any ag still standing, trying to find some standing corn, standing beans, anything like that. And was able to hike back a little bit, had the muzzler with me. I was like, hey, I'm just going to go back there. It you know, looks like there's a couple fields uh, kind of in the back part of this little unit. And, you know, I might just set up and just see what it looks like, just kind of as an observation hunt. Got back there, and there was a uh, a, cut, a little cut bean field a cut and a small cut corn field that I could see. Got set up on this little wood line just to watch, and there was tracks all back in there. And about, I don't know, 30 minutes to dark, right before the sun, or maybe about 40 minutes before dark, right before the sun started setting, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get up because it looks – Really far away, it looks like there's some corn back there. And I'm like, I mean, it was quite a good, quite a good distance on that piece of public. So I was like, I'm gonna get up. I'm just gonna slip down this edge. There's some CRP back in there, and I was gonna slip down the edge of the CRP and just kind of ease over there and just see what it is. And I did that, and as I was slipping down, I had a doe pop out at the end of this little bean field, and come to find it, it was corn down there. It was a fresh cut cornfield. She's going to the cut cornfield to go feed. And I was like, okay, cool. Kept slipping down. Got within about you know, 200 yards of the cornfield, threw my binos up, I could see more deer out in the cornfield. Um, and again, it's another, like, just one of these little fields tucked up right against a little river system right there. And um, it, I could just see, I think it was like five deer. I couldn't make out buck or does because they were at a pretty good distance from me, and it was getting down to pretty much last light. But it looked like they were kind of all messing around. I didn't know if they were just playing. I didn't know if it was does playing with each other. I didn't know if it was bucks sparring, but I saw one deer one body of a deer that was way bigger than everything else i was like okay that's something to take notes on and clearly fresh cut cornfield all the deer were out there feeding so you know put that mental note and then backed out so that was kind of it i mean kind of first day but found two spots which was fresh corn uh that had deer sign and actually saw deer in it which gave me a lot more confidence especially because when i got up here you know it was still kind of more that mild conditions where it was you know upper 20s, low 30s when I got here, kind of as the high, which, again, is kind of mild uh, this time of year. I mean, of course, you could have a little bit warmer conditions, but that would be about average probably. And I was like, okay, that, you know, saw decent movement with that kind of weather pattern. I'm like, dude, when we get this cold front coming in, these two spots are going to be awesome. So uh, that was pretty much it. And, and then backed out, and I called Perry, let Perry know, because, you know, Perry was still uh, – I think you were still kind of on the set of, like, kind of going up there and checking out some of the other units that – you know, I think everybody had originally talked about. Mm. Um, well, we had a couple more, like one around the lake and another one by the river that we looked at too. So, so anyways, that was kind of that, that first afternoon uh, and day up here. And then that next day, which I was, I guess, Friday, y'all had left Thursday night. And y'all made good time. Y'all made, re- you made really good time coming up. He drove till 5 <laughs> o'clock in the morning nonstop. I'm talking about why we left the house about 840 or something like that, but – he rolled, and then I drove the rest of the way. Yeah, we might hear pretty good. So. Yeah, because you were like, yeah, we're expecting, you know, you said, I think you were leaving like at 9 o'clock, something like that. And uh, you're like, yeah, you know, expecting trying to be up there by, you know, early afternoon, something like that maybe. And I get a, I get a message from you, and it's like 9 a.m. in the morning, 10 a.m. in the morning. You're like, oh, we're, yeah, we're over here at the parking spot at that one spot. I'm like, what? It's like, man, y'all freaking hauled butt, dude, heading north. Um, but y'all, so I had talked to you, again, talking, talking to Mike here, uh, Mike Perry, Talk to you about, hey, I found this spot. You know, it looks really good. Yeah, this is, you know, farther south than, of course, some of those other units y'all were wanting to go to and had the cameras out. But I might do the signs here. Um, and y'all decided to go to – or we both decided we were going to go to that cut cornfield on that little river. And y'all pull up, and there's an, there's an old boy from Louisiana sitting there. Louisiana, yeah. He's just 
Yeah, he come out toting the bow. Said he'd been here off and on all year and hunted 20-something days, I think, during bow season. But he was – he said he'd been doing it for like 20 years, and he'd, he'd, he'd been pretty, pretty successful. But um, he was scouting that place out. So he come out and we went in. So, but uh, Yep, and so y'all went in there. Because it was that afternoon. It was uh, Friday afternoon. We're like, okay, what are we going to do? What, what, what's the plan? What are we going to do? And right. I was, think was kind of in a hurry. And uh, the weather was making a change, so – we gathered a ground blind up. Jason to, or uh, Jacob would give yep. us a spot to go look at. So we uh, gathered a ground blind, all our stuff. And I said, it's pretty warm. We don't care too much stuff. <laughs> we went easing back, following the river. And uh, we walked up on a dead a deer had been eat up, uh, like when we were young, eight point or something. We got back and leaked around and set the blind up. And then after about an hour after we got in that blind, that thing wind changed and it come in. We like to have froze to death. <laughs> That wind was doing 40, 50 mile an hour. We didn't have enough clothes. I had a heater body, so I didn't care whether it's my brother got in it. And I stayed outside of it. And that blind's still there, I hope. But because yeah. it got so gum cold, it was unreal. We didn't see anything. But uh, it was a neat looking spot. Very, very impressive spot, really. But, but it was, it was, that was an eye opening <laughs> experience right there. That temperature went by the 40 degree swing, and that wind went from zero to 50 mile an hour. And it was incredible. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's that same day. I actually thought about this because you called me like, "Hey, you know, I'm, we're already over here at the meeting spot at that at that parking spot, and there's already a guy there." I'm like, "Oh crap!" Because it was like still like ten thirty, eleven o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking like, you know, "Hey, we're gonna meet over there around noon or so, and uh, and get ready to go in." Because I think what we originally we were gonna plan it. It's a long field. Like you know, one of us was gonna get towards the back end of it, and one of us was get a little bit towards the front end and sit and to see what we see and have an opportunity. Um, but after you said that guy was there, it's like, well, crap. I'm like, okay, well, let's see. And you were going to call me, let me know what happened. And you said, talk to the guy and the guy was leaving. And uh, I, I was thinking previously before that, I got a, a, I walked into a situation. I, I found, uh, it was a cut bean field with some standing beans around the edge of it. That I decided to go walk in on the same kind of parcel. And I walked back there and I jumped a, a buck, which I saw, I was like, man, he's probably looking at him. I was thinking he's about 140 inches, jumped up and, and kind of went out of the CRP off the side of the bean field. And uh, I was like, well, man, that's a good deer. So I was like, that was the first, you know, really good rack buck I'd seen. And that was the one I put all over Instagram. And I was like, man, you know, that, that was, a, that was a, a good deer. And the wind, I think it was going from, I think it was going from like a southwest to a northwest or something that afternoon. And I was trying to figure out, I was like, man, you know, should I stay here and hunt this bean field or should I go somewhere else? And I think after you said that, hey, we're just going to go in and, you know, take the blind and go get set up. Like, I'm just gonna go hunt a different little spot, and yeah, you hunted your spot. I hunted another little cut cornfield in this property, and I took the blind in there. I brushed it all in. Did you? See, I don't know if you saw the photos. Yeah, like, it was, yeah you had it brushed in good. Looked, looked like a hay bale. <laughs> yeah. Looked like a hay bale, man. Just just covered up with grass, and I didn't see anything either. But it was right. just like the wind was ripping. Yeah, it switched to the north, and it was hard north. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was one of the things. I was in the I was in the blind at 12:45, and by 1:30, I had all my clothes on. Yeah, I'm like, this is going to be very miserable. <laughs> it was rough. Because yeah, it, it, it doesn't get dark out here until, like, legal light's not until, like. like 5.45. 5.45, yeah. So, I mean, you're, it's not like Alabama where, like, at, you know, 5 o'clock, you're, like, wrapping yeah. it up, dude. It's dude, it's a it's a lot longer period. And it doesn't get light out here until, like, 7.30. Yeah, 7 something, so. So, it's kind of, it's, it's different, but. So, you went out there, you, uh, you, you both found some fields, you kind of were scouting out these. These uh, cut cornfields, and you kind of found a pattern on it. So you were seeing deer um, in these river units, 
close to this good CRP cover or close to marshes or just any kind of good stuff that could be considered thermal cover. And then specifically on those cut cornfields, especially. Uh, so kind of, where did you go from there? I mean, were you still just kind of hopping around field to field or uh, were you starting to kind of settle into a spot? For me, I know one thing that I was doing after the second day, which is Friday when I was up here and we were both hunting different spots Friday afternoon, that high wind started pushing in because that big front was pushing in Friday night going into Saturday. I was texting people. I was like, hey, you know, I was trying to figure out any local I knew I'd get a hold of or anybody that was kind of familiar with that kind of habitat. Because what I was worried about, we were predicted to get up to 10 inches of snow, at least where I was at. And I was talking to some people. I'm like, man, you know, if there's deer in this CRP, which clearly there were, you know, in this thicker, you know, taller grasses, you know, are they going to still be there when that snow and high wind comes? Or are they going to move back to some timber? And everybody I talked to was like, no, they're going to be in the CRP, no matter the conditions. That's the best thermal cover. It's going to be blocking the most amount of wind, by far the best setup period. That was the case. So that was the one thing I was, I was kind of worried about was, you know, are they going to shift, um, you know, based off, you know, the weather patterns and everything. And everybody's like, no, they're going to hold tight. Also, a couple other things. I was asking some people, trying to figure some stuff out. And, um, and Rendell Eric was definitely a big part with this. I was asking him. Uh, you know, how close potentially are these bucks to me towards this food? And he was saying, you know, normally within a couple hundred yards, they're going to be as close as they can, kind of bedded more like does, so that, you know, right around last light, they can slip out there real easy and start feeding. Uh, and also kind of figuring out with him, just wondering, I was asking him a ton of questions about, you know, are they using wind to their advantage coming out to food in late season? He's like, not really. You know, they're bedding with some kind of potential wind advantage or circling, J-hooking into their bed with some wind. But when they come out to the food source, they're just coming out to the food source no matter the condition. Um, so if it does a 180 switch, they're still going to be in there and coming out to that food. So that gave me a lot more confidence, too, knowing that, hey, where we are hunting, some of the spots I was finding a lot of deer, uh, it's got the CRP, which is great, and then also had still, you know, some really good food sources. You know, fresh-cut bean field with some sanding beans and then fresh-cut corn field uh, in the back. So that was a that was a huge aspect to give us a little more confidence. And then Saturday rolls in, and that's, I think, when – I was sleeping in the truck, by the way. I was I was, I was in the old uh, Dollar General uh, Inn and Suites uh, in the old front seat, the old Tundra. And uh, I was sitting out there, dude, Thursday, or Friday night cooking. Yeah, Friday night cooking uh, my food. On the little gas grill in the back, a little propane grill, freezing my freaking butt off, dude. I had one of the workers come out from Dollar General. They're like, "You good out here?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, just just cooking dinner." And they're like, "You're crazy, man." It was rip, winds ripping, dude. I can't even keep the skillet. Warm. I can't even keep let the skillet get hot, dude. I was cooking hamburgers and they were just in there like barely simmering, dude. I mean, it was it was cranked all the way up, and the wind was like, it was crazy. Uh, but yeah, this it's you know we're dealing with that, and then Saturday comes, and the snow never snow didn't come. Uh, not like it was predicted. I woke up and it was like seven forty-five, eight o'clock in the morning, and there was like just a light dusting on the ground. And uh, I just, you know, we kind of, I kind of hung around town, not knowing what to expect. And I think we got maybe a total of three inches, maybe down there. Um, but the winds were blowing so hard all day long. I mean, blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. It looked like you were in a freaking blizzard. Not because it was still snowing, but the, the snow was powdery on the ground. That wind picked up, and it was blowing snow sideways, dude. And there were snow drifts and everything on the roads, ice. It was slick, so it made for an interesting time. But I didn't hunt Saturday. I know y'all kind of got out a little bit. We got out. That was our second day here, and that was a rough day. That was god-awful. It was terrible, that wind, <laughs> that snow blowing. It was cold. We jumped up a little old deer, and it was, it was mad at us for getting it up. <laughs> I looked at it like, what are you doing, crazy? Like, anyway, it's like, it's it's like, it had snow on its back, and it laid down, bedded up. But anyway, that day was rough. So, 
But we, and like Jake was saying, that's the RP and the food. That's that's the two main keys right there as far as the hunting this time of year is what it looks like. So if you can find the CRP and find the food they're hitting, the problem is is where they're coming out of it at or they're bedding at it because they've got multiple beds, I'm sure. So it's it's trying to just it's just stand with it right now. So Yep, absolutely. So that, that, that was some of the bigger things that we kind of ran across, which was uh, – Again, eye-opening, especially when we started having that colder weather coming in and, and the winds and, you know, temperature really started dropping, uh, which kind of made the plan for su- Sunday. And sa- so Saturday night, night, it was supposed to get down to, like, negative 10 or something. And Randall was telling me, he's like, dude, I wouldn't be sleeping in my car. Like, that's like <laughs> – he's like, that's going to be too cold, man. And I'm like, you know – and Perry was like, dude, you're – Yeah, you've lost your mind. You, I'm, you too, you I'm too old for that. You, you come me. on, shack up, bust your own thing. I'm yeah. going to tough it out in my truck. All right. Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> Friday, uh, Perry texted me because it was going to get down to like, I forgot, it was going to get down cold Friday yeah. night. It was going to get down, to like, I think, single single digits uh, with a negative wind chill. He's like, man, he's like, he's like, you're either you're either dumb or you're one tough SOB. And I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm a little bit of both probably. I'm just hard-headed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there ain't no way I'd do that. I was about to say, dude, you should see him in Alabama. It's like 50 degrees with some humidity and five-mile-an-hour breeze, and he's got his bibs on, toboggan pulled down, neck gator pulled up. All you can see is his eyes. I mean, he looked no different. I don't know how he stayed in the truck. He does. I really like to know if he actually stayed in the truck. (laughs) There's no hotel down there, unless I went and stayed in the little grocery store, which wasn't open. So, Now, now listen, I've got that thing dialed in zero-degree. Um, down sleeping bag, down feather sleeping bag, and then you partner that. Which actually Friday night, I just slept in freaking my, my thermal base layers and just my long sleeve shirt, and I was fine. But last night it got cold. I slept in my freaking like my, which I was extremely warm. But I slept with my freaking full blown uh solitude jacket, and then uh, I put my puffy jacket down in the sleeping bag, like down by my feet, and it was toasty, man. It was it was warm, but. But I'm not going to – yeah, I probably won't do it tonight. I'll probably get me a room tonight. But – Motel 6 is about as low as I want to go right now. Yeah, try and get whatever hotel <laughs> we can get a hold of. Uh, but, you know, that it, it was definitely kind of eye-opening on that aspect. Again, the weather, the conditions, everything else. Because, again, when you're coming from Alabama, and, again, like y'all are making fun of me about being bundled up in 50-degree weather, dude. I mean, that's hot out here, okay? So that's that's the, kind of the eye-opening aspect is, like, dude, it's going to get cold. It's going to get cold fast, and you got to deal with that. And, like, you know, guys were telling me, like, dude, if you sweat – you're screwed. I mean, like legitimately screwed. And actually, Saturday um, when it was snowing real bad, I actually talked. I, I reached out to um, yeah, because I was driving around because we didn't actually hunt that afternoon. I was driving around to some different spots, and I, I got on the phone with uh, Rendell Eric, and I was asking him a bunch of different questions, like I was talking about. You know, where they're uh, you know are they gonna be in the CRP? You think, or you know, back up into some of this timber? And I was asking him some questions about that. And, uh, you know, it's going to be real cold Sunday, like real, like, you know, single digits, uh, throughout the day with a negative wind chill. And he's like, man, he's like, he's like, man, you just need to borrow my, uh, he's like, I got a, a, a body suit you can use and you can just borrow it and, uh, and hunt with that. And I'm like, if you're serious, I will drive a long ways to go pick it up. And he's like, yeah, man, for real. So I, did, I was like, all right, I'm packing my bags up. I'll be there in a couple of hours. And, uh, and drove over there and, and talked with him and sat outside and, and got that, uh, that body suit, which is like an Arctic Shield body suit, which what that is for Southerners that don't really know what that is. It's kind of like, kind of like a heater body suit. Like it goes over all your camo. It's got a big zipper system on it. So you like, you can zip it up and it kind of keeps that, you know, air pocket around you where you have a lot warmer air circulating around your whole body and not just under your clothing. And it's windproof. It's waterproof. It's freaking 
game changing. Like legit, like you gotta have it late season out here. Yeah, that's impressive. Like. We gotta hit our body suit. Somebody give me one for Catherine. I think I think it was Jason Cross. But anyway, it's got legs on it, so you can stand up with it on, and it's got cross straps where it won't fall off of you. You can just push, and it unzips to, to where you can get to your gun and stuff. But that is uh, it's an amazing thing. You gotta have it, and I sat today from one o'clock to dark, and wind was blowing 35, 40 mile an hour gusts, and I was pretty good, pretty good shape. So. Throw a throw a and hot hands is another thing you need to have. Yep. Throw one of them in each leg and then and and have one in your in, inside your shirt and then you're fine. So so we've been able to tough it out like that. So but that heater body suit and the hot hands has been the main staple right now. So yeah, when we came out here, you know, I was telling Perry when we came out, I was like, man, I'm packing everything. I'm having you know a lock on tree stand with sticks. I'm bringing the saddle. I'm bringing uh ground blind and bringing you know turkey chair i'm bringing everything just in case you don't know the situation you're going to be in and one reason i brought the ground blind was like some of these areas i thought was going to be a little bit more kind of open less trees and everything um to kind of brush it in and also kind of stay out of the wind but uh, again talking to rendell and everything he was like man he's like if you get that suit he's like dude just take that turkey chair in there and set up you know somewhere around that field get tucked up in some cover and just sit real low and he's like dude that'll be the ticket so that's what I did, and when we Sunday, I think it was Saturday night we were talking. I I think I stayed at the hotel, and that's when I was telling you like I feel real good about Sunday. Right. Uh, you, oh, you called your shot because you yeah. told me I'm gonna call my shot right now. I'm yeah. killing one Sunday. I was like, like if I kill one, it's gonna be on Sunday, and uh, and it was just because the weather conditions were gonna be perfect. The wind was switching. It was gonna be uh, it's gonna go from a northwest wind to southwest wind, which was gonna be uh, really good for that spot I was gonna go hunt, which is that cut cornfield, kind of hunt with like a crosswind, and then um, next to that big big patch of CRP. And then also just the, the temperature drop. So, you know, it was super high winds all day Saturday. Like, maybe the deer came out on feed, but maybe they didn't. I mean, it was 30, 40-mile-an-hour winds, uh, gusts and everything. Uh, so it was really rough, you know, snow conditions and everything else. So I was like, man, Sunday they're going to be feeding. Dude, they're probably going to be out pretty early. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go in at noon, pretty get set up. And, yeah, I mean, like I, like Perry said, you know, I was like, if I kill one, it's going to be Sunday. Like, I'm going to have, like, the best opportunity, I think, Sunday. Like, I know i got the food. The food's there. The cover's there. And I've uh, the buck sign's there. I'm, I've cut big tracks, like really, really big tracks. Uh, so there's definitely some good deer in this area for sure still. Um, and then, you know, that's what we did Sunday, freaking went to the spot and, uh, I decided to get into the cornfield, sit on the little tree line and got a little spot where I had the turkey chair and got all my gear on. I was able to get in that, the, uh, the, the, the suit, the heat, the heater suit, zip it up, get everything sealed up and dude, having that wind blocker, like on the outside of all your clothing is amazing. Just so that like that pocket of warm air inside of it, it's not like shifting around and, uh, Dude just got tucked in, got tucked in real early and just sat it out. And I think, Andrew, you called me, and it was like 1.30, and dude, it was cold, man, because you called me. We talked for like 15 minutes. I'm like, dude, I got to get off the phone because I got to get my arms back in the suit. Dude, it was freaking cold. Yeah, the, the longer we we talked on the phone, the more your voice got like real shaky, you know? Like I could hear you shivering. Uh, real quick before you get on with it, um, what what exactly drew you to that one field? I mean, which field did you pick and why did you pick it? So it was the one that was on this little uh, this little river unit, and it's got a um, – this is – you can't see it on the map. It, like, on the map, it doesn't look like anything really on the map. But when you got out there, this back little corner is about a – I thought it was 10 acres. How big do you think that field is? I said 10 acres. Is it 15, 20 acres, that cornfield? Yeah, so probably 20-acre cornfield in this back little corner. And it's got, like, probably 100 acres of CRP, I'd say. Uh because we measured that whole back area back there, and uh, so it's it's got a, a pretty good size, a little bit of CRP, and a lot of it covered. There's a ton. Of, I mean, I cut some big tracks coming out, and I'm not talking big Alabama tracks. I'm talking like 
as Rundle said, these tracks out here, these big bucks, they're freaking the, – the front hooves look like wise, dude. Like, it's crazy how splayed out they are. And um, I found some big tracks coming out of that CRP, and I'm like, dude, this is going to be good. So that's where I felt the most confident. Plus, I'd seen the deer in there a couple days before. The buck sign was in there. I was cutting tracks. I was finding some rubs. I actually found some fresh rubs in there. Uh, so everything was playing out like if there's going to be a bachelor group of bucks, they're going to be in this one spot without a doubt. Um, and also, I jumped up that other buck in a field that's adjacent to this, um, you know, a, a day and a half previously. So all that kind of played into factors of why going in, and that's why I kind of had the confidence to go into this spot and, and you know, hunt aggressively. And uh, I'll say this again, as, as Randall says, you, no balls, no bucks, as he says. So you got to be kind of aggressive going there. You can't just sit back the whole time, especially when the conditions are right, and, and just do a, a true observation set. You got to put yourself in a decent position to potentially get an op- get an opportunity at one. Uh, so that's what I did. Went in at noon, got set up. And where did you hunt that day? Where, where did you we go? We hunted by a, a different uh, a lake system. Okay. And, uh, I hunted a cornfield. So and my brother went on around scouting, and I think uh, I had a buck come trotting across the field pretty quick. He just like he had to get to the other side, like he had, like like he done been pressured enough. He said, "I'm not going to stand out in this <laughs> cornfield." He come across. He's about 120 inch, and I think I just had seen him. Five or ten minutes before you, before my phone started, bleh, 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 and I'm like, anyway, it was Jacob calling, but I let him get to the store about the hunt. So yeah, so I, I get set up, and I was like, man, you know, conditions are great, but it's cold. I mean, it's like air temperature. I think air temperature was like five, six degrees, but it was like a negative windshield, a negative one, negative two windshield. Um, and I'm you know sitting there all bundled up, dude, <clears throat> and just you know every hour is going by. It's, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock. Three o'clock, and it, you know, I'm like watching the field. I'm watching the CRP. I'm set up perfectly with a crosswind, so I'm set up where this wind's hitting me on the left side of the face, blowing a crossway. So going left to right, cornfield is directly in front of me, and kind of runs a little bit more farther to my left. And then directly out in front of me is the big CRP field. And the edge, there's a big edge on the CRP that comes out into that corn. So I'm hunting it with a crosswind, thinking that if these deer are coming out. They are going to have a wind advantage, no matter what. If they're in that CRP, they're coming to the corn. They're going to have a wind advantage, smelling into that cornfield as they come in. But I'm so far off the edge of it. I'm just far enough off the edge of that CRP. They're not going to be able to smell me unless they come out and walk directly, you know, downwind and towards me. Um, so at like 3:30, I'm sitting there and uh, messing on my phone, and it gets about 3:45, and I look up in the field and I see. I'm like, is that deer? And like the sun starting to and the sun's starting to set a little bit, and it's like a shadow on that back tree line. And I'm like, is that a deer right there? And I'm looking, I'm looking, looking, looking. And they start moving. I'm like, oh, man, it's a deer. So, I'm like, I'm unzipping this freaking – dude, it went from, like, I was I was like, I was cozy. But I was like, man, this kind of sucks sitting here. So, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm fired up, bro. I'm like, I'm like unzipping, freaking throwing the binos up. I'm looking out of the, uh, the bodysuit. And it's, like, two little bucks, like, two little, like, little six-point bucks. And they're out there just feeding, messing around. I'm like, oh, man, that's kind of cool. I'm like, yeah, it's early because, again, it doesn't get dark here. It's like, you know, five – like, legal light's like 540-ish or so at this point – at this part in the season. So, we got tons of time left. I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. And I hadn't seen them pop out into the fields. So I don't know where they came from, but they were just out there on the edge. So, I'm watching them for a little bit, and all of a sudden I put my binos down. I'm just looking at it, and, like, just to the right of them, like 60 yards to the right on the edge, in the, on the edge of the CRP, I see, like, a black figure, like just a dark figure right there on the edge of the grass. I'm like – Oh, that's a deer. I throw my binos up, and it's a it's a really good buck. And um, he comes out, and it's a really nice rack deer. He comes out, and then I'm watching again. I'm watching him, and then from behind him, I see another deer step out. And that deer steps out, and it's just a big 10-point, just a real big deer. And I'm like – and so I'm looking at him, and he's about 350 yards from me. And I'm like, dude, that's – it. 
150 inch deer all day long. 110, this 150 inch 10 point. He walks out, looks around, great body on him. He comes out, they start feeding the corn, and I'm watching him. And then I look back, and there's another buck coming out. So this is buck number five pops out, and I'm like, it's another really good rack buck, probably like a you know mid 130s buck. And I'm looking again, looking again, and then another buck pops out. So that's buck number seven pops out. And uh, it's about 140 inch. I can I don't know 140, 145 inch. Either eight pointer. It might have been a nine point. Might have had a little kicker. I just couldn't see a little G4. Uh, but just another big deer pops out, and I'm like, holy crap! And I look again, and I see number eight, number nine, and then number ten. And about half of them, they're all rack bucks. Probably there's one buck that's at least about 150 inches. There's a number of buck probably in the mid 140s upper 140s and then there's a couple that are like in the you know in their 130 inch class and some smaller deer so there's 10 bucks out there all staying in this back corner and i'm sitting there i'm freaking i'm on instagram i'm like dude i'm like filming my stuff that i'm shaking just from the journal i'm like man i've got all these bucks out here let's see what happens and uh i put my phone up and they're just out there feeding and they're they're too far from me it's, it's a black powder so like my comfort range with my muzzler is like 200 yards and in so I'm like, but they're feeding out towards the middle of the field towards me, which is going to put them in range. So I'm like, okay, it's, you know, we're good. Let's stay calm. We got plenty of time, plenty of time. And then I look over to my right a little bit and I see some more deer popping out and it's four does all online. They're about 225, 250 yards from me. They're, they're walking out. They get right to the edge of that cornfield and they start looking up and they start looking to the back corner, which is directly off to my left. Like, and I can't really see that back corner. They're looking way back over there. And they get all, they kind of get all antsy. They're looking back there, and they're kind of like bobbing their head a little bit. And then they kind of turn, and they start bounding off back into the CRP. I'm like, what the heck was that? And then I instantly I flip over to the bucks, and the bucks look over there to that back corner, and they do the same thing. And I'm like, holy crap, dude. I'm like, and I, instantly I'm thinking there's a hunter. Like, there's got to be a hunter. And I'm looking over there. I can't see anybody. Plus, a hunter really can't get to that spot unless he can swim. And I don't think anybody's swimming to get to that spot. So I was like, it's got to be a coyote or something like that. And it's upwind of them. It's got to be a coyote, something like that that spooked them. And all, all these bucks, all 10 of them, they just go trotting back into the CRP. And my hopes and dreams are crushed. So I'm sitting there on my phone. And I'm just I'm looking at the time and everything. And it's, again, it's probably, uh, this all probably has happened about 4, four o'clock or so. And about 10 minutes goes by. And I'm just sitting there looking at the CRP. And all of a sudden, I, my peripheral off to my left I see movement, and I see a deer running, kind of like, or like trotting towards me. I'm like, what? And I'll turn over, I'll look at it, and all I see is this buck, and he's trotting towards me, and kind of like coming, like quartering past me, like coming across my face at about 100, 120 yards. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a good deer. And I throw my binos up on him, and he, he like stops for a second and looks back, and I see how wide he is, and I see his tines. I'm like, oh, that's a shooter, like without a doubt. So I throw the binos down, grab the muzzleloader, Pull the muzzleloader up, and I'm sitting in a spot where I'm like tucked up against this uh this cottonwood tree, and I got some vines around me. I'm all tucked into it, and then right in front of me, about three or four yards in front of me, is like this kind of shrubby bush, and it's got you know a bunch of different like vine stuff growing off of it. And I originally, before when I sat down, I broke some of that stuff down so I could kind of see over the top of it. Well, when he's trotting, he's like my gun, even though I'm sitting up, I'm in a turkey chair, so I'm real low to the ground. I can't really see him without looking through some of this stuff. So I'm like, I was like being real patient, not trying to force a shot and make sure that he cleared all this covering from me before I, you know, got an opportunity. Well, he stopped for a little bit and was looking around. He was kind of looking back and he was just, again, trotting. He wasn't like full out running. 
And he kept, keeps going. He keeps going left to right, so he keeps going across in front of me. And finally, he gets out in the open. And I've got the – by this time, i got the hammer back, and I'm trying to get him to stop me. I'm doing the old man, man, the old Bama, the old Bama jammer, freaking trying to stop him. And uh, he just won't stop, dude. He just He's still just kind of trotting. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to lead him. So I freaking led just right in front of his shoulder, right in front of his neck, and just squeezed off, boom. And the second I squeezed the shot off, I was like, oh, crap, I held too far forward. Because he wasn't moving very fast at all. I mean, he was just like this. He wasn't walking. He was like, I'd say he was, he was power walking for a deer, just kind of like a light trot. Well, when I, but when I shot that sound, that that thud sound, just the, the, the echo of that bullet hit, and he just rolled. It hit him. He dropped. He rolled, and he did not get back up. But I'm frantic. I see him go down, and I'm thinking that black bear that I shot back in October with a muzzler, right? Hit it high, shot it, you know, shot down into it, and it broke its spine, but it was still, you know, trying to get up and run off. So I'm frantic. I'm trying to find my freaking speed loader to try to reload another round. So I'm like, I'm, I'm jumping out of this freaking suit, trying to load my muzzler, keeping an eye out there in the field, making sure he doesn't jump back up. I'm reloading the shell. I'm reloading the uh, the bullet down in there freaking out because I'm like, dude, this deer's not getting away. Like, it's not about to jump up and run off. Because that's all, all was in my head was like, this deer is about to jump up and just run into the CRP and be gone forever. Okay? That's what was going through my mind. So, dude, I get it reloaded. I put a new primer in it, and I'm running out there. While I'm running out there, all, like, all the adrenaline's just flowing. I forgot that I've got my freaking Arctic Shield boot covers on, my booties. And I don't know if you've ever ran in those, dude. It's like a newborn. It's like a newborn calf, bro. Like you're just wobbling, bro. Like they ain't, ain't stable. They're just slipping and sliding. It's icy and snowy. I can dude. picture this so well, dude. It's, it, it'd be like, listen, listen. I'm, listen, I'm gonna put this out there right now. I've never worn heels, dude. But dude, if you were gonna wear heels for the first time, that's what it was like. Dude, you're freaking falling over, dude. Freaking knees are buck, buckling. And I run out there. The <laughs> way I like? imagine it is you trying to. Uh, Climb up that telephone pole that time when me, Tyler, and Andrew are watching you. He's trying and, to use the aider. And you're trying to use that aider, and you go sideways, like, just in a split second, you're gone. That was about what it was like running out there. I mean, it, it was, I was like, I was like, man, what's wrong with my legs, dude? I thought my legs were cold or something. They're just, like, numb. I didn't realize I had the booty still on until I get to the deer. But I get out there, and there's a little rise in the field. And he went down just past that rise. I'm like, man, where's this deer at? I got the gun up. I'm like, I'm like easing over there. I pick up and I see his main beam like coming up over the rise. I'm like, oh crap, okay, he's down. And I'm like, did I freak out? That's when I called you, Andrew. And I'm like, dude, I'm freaking out on the phone. Like, I mean, Andrew, you could probably talk about. It. I kind of forgot what I said, but I was like, I, I, was, I know I was freaking out for real. I, I wish I probably could have filmed myself in the reaction. But I like, I'll yeah, walk. I got the live view. I, I, I mean, I got the, I got the play by play. You were like. You called me, and uh, I, I don't remember what you said, but you're like, I shot him, I shot him. I'm like, uh, what's he look like? And you're like, hold on, I'm walking up to him. I was like, FaceTime me. And so you FaceTime me as you were walking up to him, dude. And that, that was pretty awesome to watch that whole experience. But, dude, you were uh, you were over the moon. You were all shaky voice and everything. I mean, typical buck fever. You got to love it. Oh, yeah. But it, it was like next level, though, because I freaking just dropped this Iowa buck and you know, I didn't realize, like, how really big it was. I just saw, like, wide frame, you know, not super tall tines, but just, you know, it had tines, looked like he had big brow tines and everything in this shot. And when I got over to him, I was like, oh, my God. Because the first thing I noticed was that left brow tine, dude. And the brow tines, they, like, go up and they swoop back. And his left brow tine, I think it's, like, eight, just over, like, eight inches. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, dude. I'm like, it's a, fr- it's a freaking monster, dude. Like, I'm just, like, freaking out looking at this freaking deer. And uh, and then I realized how big the body was, and I'm like looking at this deer. I'm like, it's a freaking toad, dude. I'm like, this is not an Alabama deer. 
Like, this is not an uh, – yeah, the biggest buck I've ever killed in Alabama, I think it was like 175 pounds. And, uh, yeah, this one's got, like, a lot more on it than that. I think like, we – Like another 75? Yeah, like another 75 <laughs> on them. So, but, uh, yeah, I was freaking out just sitting there, sitting there at the old old deer looking at them. And I was, like, in awe, just, like, looking at this. I'm like, dude, it happened that quickly. Just, like, buck came out, shot opportunity, actually the shot, and, and hit them. And, and after later on – I didn't even – I'm real bad about when I shoot a deer. I'm real bad about looking at the deer. Like I just know he's down. That's all that matters. Like like just as long as he's dead, we're cool. I'm not looking at points. Really. I'm just kind of eyeballing. I'm like, okay, I don't really. I'm not looking real hard. I'm like, okay, he's a good buck. He's he's down. Now what do we need to do? How do we get him out of here? So I'm like calling everybody. I'm calling Perry. I'm calling uh, everybody. My brothers. Everybody just letting know kill a deer. And uh, I'm like, oh crap! Now we gotta get him out of here, dude. And I'm like, y'all are freaking, you know, about an hour plus away from me. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I don't have a game cart. And you know what? I was kind of dumb because I'm like, this is a late season hunt. And, you know, they always talk about, like, you know, you can shoot a buck. You know, it's like a shed buck out here. You know, the antler's falling off. I go to grab his antler. I start pulling on it, trying to drag him. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing, dude? <laughs> I'm going to pop an antler off. <laughs> that That's what I was saying on the phone. You're like, well, I'm about to start dragging him. I'm like, don't pop his antlers off. Because, I mean, they're, I've already seen a bunch of pictures from the Midwest of uh, guys finding sheds or uh, guys getting trail camera pictures of bucks that have already shed. So I was like, careful with them now. You don't want to pop one of those bad boys off. Uh, not like the taxidermist couldn't fix it, but still. You it's know. like, so, so I got him right now in the, in the video for us. But like, dude, when I walked up, I saw that jet, that GT right there. I was like, oh my god, because he, he was sitting like this when I walked up on him. He was like sitting like that. And uh, the G two or brow time, brow time. I, I'm losing it right now. I'm, just, I'm excited. I'm looking <laughs> He's at so it. excited. My phone started going <laughs> off, and I was hang on, Jacob calling. I'm saying, hey, 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 I just got the biggest deer I've ever killed. I ain't got no cart. <laughs> I said, you going to leave him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. I said, I'll, I'll get my brother and we'll start heading away. Hi, hi, hi. I came back. Uh, and later on, I wish you could have said, I wish I could have video on it because it's zero, minus four, whatever. This old guy's got his arm sleeves pulled up, naked skin, barehanded. And it was amazing. I was, he's so good. He was so hyper, but it, it was cool. Dude, I, I, could, really I, couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep that night. I'm not going to lie. I got home, dude. I slept terrible because I just I couldn't fall asleep. Oh, man. Uh, we get back to the – I actually went to the hotel that night because it was, like, real cold. But, uh, but yeah, shoot him. I call everybody. I'm like, oh, dude, well, we got to do something. So I, I called uh, Rendell Eric, too. I was like, man, I, was like, hey, I had a shot when I sent him the photo. He's like, oh, man, that's awesome. He's like, hey, do you want me to come out in there? And uh, and help you get them out. I'm like, dude. I mean, I'd pre. I mean, if you're willing, that'd be awesome. I know it's a freaking long drive, but dude, if you'd be willing, that'd be absolutely fantastic. So he drove down. The old Perry brothers, old uh, Perry squared over here. They drove down too to help me get them out. And uh, dude, I was worried about coyotes. I mean, there were so many coyotes over there. So like, I'm like, you know, I was talking to. Oh, Andrew, I might talk to you. I was talking to uh, Rental too. He's like, man, just put your jacket over the top of it. So I put that jacket and just like cover the whole, put my jacket and the bibs and everything on it and just kind of kind of covered up the uh, covered up the deer and everything, keep coyotes off, and walked out and uh, got back to the truck and everything, just sitting at chilling, plugging the phone. Another thing I realized while I was out there, my phone had originally been in my chest pocket like the whole time, and after I shot the deer, I was like on the phone with everybody. When I got my phone out, it was like sixty five percent battery. In twenty minutes, it went down to ten percent battery because that's how cold it was. Like with the windshield and everything. My phone, it was like glitching. Like you try to open up one screen and go to another screen. And normally like on an iPhone, it's like real quick. It would like go slow motion, go from one screen to another screen. And it was like, yeah, I don't, it's like, it does not like this weather. And I'm like, yeah, probably need to get back to the truck. Um, but yeah, everybody, the whole cavalry showed up, dude. We went back in. It was like, I think negative four when we left the truck. 
and then and then when we get back to the truck, it was negative seven. I had freaking icicles in my beard, and uh, yeah, it was kind of dumb because I did take a lot of my clothes off. He didn't have a dang stitch of clothes. I thought he was gonna get naked before we got in the truck because every time we stop, <laughs> he'd take something off. He gutted the deer with his sleeves pulled up to his elbows, and it's cold as all get out. He's had no gloves on. I think that's something gonna ain't gonna live before we get back. <laughs> But he was so excited. It was cold. I'm, I'm glad he was there, yeah. but he was excited. But it was daggum cold. Yeah, it was a lot of adrenaline because now looking back at it, I'm like, that was really dumb. Because, dude, at one point, I walked in with bibs and, like, a like a hoodie and everything. And because uh, I know I have my jacket in there. But when I get in there, dude, I take my bibs off. I'm like, I'm freaking hot, dude. So I take my bibs off, and we take some photos and everything and start coming back out. And, dude, we should have got the freaking jet sled or whatever. Uh, Randall was like, man, I'll bring the sled out. I'm like, no, I think the game court would be fine. It's flat. Like, it's not, it's not too bad. But uh, that buck was a lot bigger than I kind of ex- expected. And, like, dude, the sled would have been way easier coming across the snow than the freaking cart because me and Perry were pulling it. We're dragging it, dude. It's like, oh, dude, it was terrible. It was like – so. Oh, I say – Perry always gets on to me. I'm like, it was terrible, but it was a good experience. Oh, it was a great experience. Yeah. You know, this body was probably about a foot longer than Alabama deer, but it's cool. I mean, it was a decent drag probably mm-hmm. – it's like, we measured it's half like, hours, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, but it was, it was just over half a mile. Half so, a yeah. but yeah, It uh, wasn't a five-hour drag, but it was – I mean, it was the weather condition and all that made it kind of interesting, but it still, it was neat. And it's a good experience because they was success. That kind of success you like. You don't worry about the drag. You get them, we got to worry about getting them flat oh, first. But, yeah, talk to you. Talk about that. You've been telling me that the whole weekend. And he's like, because yeah. we're like, man, man, you kill one in here, man. It would be terrible getting them out. And you're like, dude, you got to yeah. get them flat first. Get them flat first. We'll get them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If we had that guy drive an hour and a half to help, and then we <laughs> drove an hour and a half, hey, we can get the team to get them out. So yeah. It might be a piece at a time, but we will get them out. Get them flat first. We'll worry about the rest later. So. Yep. Then so. you can pick your mound out and all that. <laughs> get them flat first. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and success call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. But that, that was a huge point, dude. We got him out, dude, and we gutted him. And again, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew he was a really big body deer, but I didn't really realize until I'm sitting there next to him and we're taking photos. I can kind of like see how truly big the buck was, like body-wise. And I mean, I think everybody said 250 pounds. Yeah. Pretty con... cons uh, Yeah, wasn't no doubt 250 anyway. And, uh, Big head on, dude, big hooves, the whole nine yards. And we get them back and uh, load them up in the truck. And that's when I realized that uh, if it wasn't, if it was me by myself, I might still be out there trying to get that deer out, dude, because it was too cold. You couldn't do, there was no quartering packing them out, dude. It was too cold for that crap. It just, that wasn't happening, dude. 
Um, that would have been a good visual too, because he had that camper with that with that little box in there, and we we're trying to get that deer in there, and it was all we could do to get that so good to fit in there. Yeah, because so I got the you know camper shell in the back of the truck, and I got that uh, that yeah, mat. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got the deck system. So you only have it's like it's like 22 inches of space, or like 24 inches of space from the top of the deck system to the top of the actual. Actually, it's probably bigger than that. But anyways, you got like a, a decent little distance between the deck system and the top of the camper shell. Well, most times if you just have a regular truck, you have somebody up in the truck, grab by the antlers, you pull them up. You can't do that when you got a camper shell because you got the freaking the top gate and everything's hitting in the back of the head. So, like, you're all hunched over. And then you get them on the back of the tailgate and you got to get them up another 10 inches onto the deck system. And then you got to crawl in the back of the truck, like in the bed, and like bear hug the deer with the other three guys pushing the butt end of it yeah. while you're trying to drag it up into the back of the truck, dude. I mean, that was worth the video enough. Yeah, that would have been a good tutorial video because it was funny. <laughs> Yeah, he dude, he was so he, he was big enough yeah. when you got him in the back of the truck, like he was curled. He was like curled all the way up to the front of the up to the front of the bed and out the back of the bed and everything. It was it was a pain, dude. Yeah. But it was it was one of those things like dude, if it was just me by myself, I don't know. It was a unique experience. It was very well worth it. But the deer here are they're definitely built different than ours. Their their bodies, their bone structure, their legs longer, bigger, bodies longer. It's, yeah, it was, dude, the the rib bones are so much bigger. Like when I, I broke them down the next day and Kate to mount and and uh, and uh, you know just deboned all the meat. And I'm looking at the bone structure of this of this deer, and yeah, the legs are everything's longer on them and just bigger. But the ribs is what I noticed was huge. Like my ribs, like the buck I killed uh, back in December, I think it was December seventeenth uh, on some public land in Alabama. That five and a half year old, he was 160 pounds, and I, I mean, I, I deboned him, and, or I, you know, kind of was messing with him and saw his ribs, and you know, if you process enough deer yourself and kind of see the deer, you can kind of get an idea. The bone of this freaking the buck's rib up here was literally looked like a beef calf, or like a, a beef rib. I mean, just thick, dude. It made me think, I'm like, dude. You're shooting one of these deer up here with with your broadhead, man. You better be packing a punch, dude. Because I mean, it's like they got some serious guards up here on the backside of their shoulder. Um, but just everything was bigger on it, dude. The head was huge, and actually, when we took it to the taxidermist, not to jump too far ahead, to have it caped off the head for me, because uh, I was too worried about screwing that up. Uh, he did the nose to eye measurement, and it was right at like an uh, eight inches or eight and a quarter in, or eight and an eighth of an inch uh, from the corner of his front of the eye to the tip of the nose, which is like it's really big skull. Um, I think a mature buck's like anything from like seven. Well, depending on where you're at, but like up here, I think they were saying anything from like seven and a quarter inches, seven and two eighths, all the way up to you know seven and and uh, four eighths uh, inches is like a, is like a really good mature buck. So he was a lot bigger skull than even some of the common like mature deer. And I think they ate we aged them like anywhere between four and a half to five and a half years old. So, uh, but yeah, dude, it was a crazy experience getting back in the truck. Yeah, he's a very respectable buck. Yep, very nice and so. so. And, and he uh, was a warrior too, because he broke up a little bit. So yeah. he'd been fighting. Yeah, broke up a little bit. And dude, he had scars. He had he had a he had a puncture wound right below his uh I think it's his left eye. Had a puncture wound right there. He had puncture wounds all in his neck on the back of his head. He had a big gash on the back of his head where he had took a tine across the back. He had uh when I was caping him out on his forearms, the front of his forearms, he had puncture wounds all in that from getting fights. I mean, dude, he was just he, he liked to throw hands, it seemed. I mean, uh, just you know, he was a fighter for sure, which was uh, which was pretty cool. So, um, but it it was a crazy experience. Again, I'm still on cloud nine from it. It was just uh, 
you know, just to be able to kind of make it happen like that. And also make it happen and not just like a solo trip, but having like, you know, both uh, Mike Perry and then also Matt Perry up here, dude, to be able to kind of experience that with and also have uh, Randall come down. That You know, it was kind of cool to, you know, have all that, you know, come together. Um, it made for a really, really cool experience. I was jealous seeing all the videos and pictures and everything. Uh, and we were all laughing earlier about some of the pictures that came from that, which uh, people can go to our Facebook or whatever and Instagram and see those pictures. But y'all are so bundled up. And Rendell's so freaking giant, dude. Jacob, we were all <laughs> laughing that, that you looked like a little kid with, like, your first buck next to him. Oh, man, he's <laughs> he a, that so guy's a, he's a grown man, a tall drink of whiskey or something. Six foot eight, maybe. But <laughs> But he's a very nice yeah, guy. Yeah, all bundled up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, head to toe. I mean, y'all were – I mean, it's pretty – It was. I mean, you can tell it's pretty cold up there. It's cold. Ain't no doubt. That, that, when that snow – y'all had more snow in the lower yeah. part, but it it was cold. And that, I mean, we really appreciate that guy coming up. Very nice guy. And to drive an hour and a half to help, you know, somebody you met online, whatever, that's impressive. So, But he, and it's also a unique bit of information we got from him, too, about some other things. So. So we really appreciate that and really enjoyed meeting him. So. Yeah, and dude, I just appreciate him letting me use that freaking that suit, man, because that was make or break. I mean, you could hunt yeah. without one, but it just it changes the game to yeah. be able to kind of sit in a lot more kind of comfort in one of those suits. I mean, yeah. I think that's what you were talking yeah, about too. They're just, very worth the money. I don't care if they're a thousand bucks. That's easy, thousand because that's to to get to sit at zero and five ten degrees for six hours. And Alabama with regular clothes on, you're not going to do it. So, but with that thing, it's 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 amazing. So, yeah, it'll save you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It, I don't know. It's hard to explain how cold that is. You know, it's not the Arctic cold, but it's dead gum cold. So, if you get get in trouble, you're gonna be, you're gonna be in trouble. So, uh, it's pretty close. So, yeah, <laughs> that twenty below wind chill was something else. So. So, so you know it's it's been a cool experience so far. You know, we've still got a lot of the hunt left because I think what's what's the date today? What's what's, what's today? Uh, I've lost track of time. So, I don't even know how long we've been here yet. We're on the second motel. I know we're just <laughs> kind of running around, but like you know, we still got a lot of the so it fits. So it's still got so still got four days of hunting left. Um, you know, for Perry to be able to kind of go and hopefully get get a good buck. I mean, dude, we're on the deer. I, so I still got a doe tag. I don't know if I'm gonna shoot a doe. I don't know. I'm I don't know. We'll we'll see, but like this, we've got a lot. Of, you've got a lot of hunting left. There's there's at least one big batch of group. If not, it seems like maybe there's two big batch of groups, which I'll let y'all talk about in just a little bit. But uh, you know, there's some really good bucks on this one parcel that we've been able to find and, and dive yeah, in on. There's tracks everywhere, big tracks. You know, plenty of, of standing beans and stuff. The food's there, and it's kind of encircled by private land that's already been plowed up and stuff like that. So. And the plenty of cover, so it, the deer is here, which, and we're seeing plenty. Yeah. I could have shot a thing doe today with a recurve. So, so, but the, I mean, it's it's an impressive place. Plenty of food, plenty of cover. It's just trying to with the mode loader, the limited range on the mode loader, trying to be set up where they pop out of that CRP to to get to the beans is, is or the corn is is kind of a guessing game. But hey, we're on the deer. I mean, the 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 hunt part is is fine. We're I mean, we're on them, so the hunt is successful regardless of what happens. So. And then having one taken out of five people, whatever that's hunted here, is is pretty good, pretty good odds for not never being here. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So we're like I said, we're seeing them. We've done seen between me and my brother, we've seen seven bucks, probably four shooters. So so there's nothing there, there there's nothing wrong about the hunt. So we're 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 in them. So we're just gonna hang it out and stick with it for the next. I think we got five more hunts. So, so what do you think, Matthew? We gonna get on? Yeah, they're there. They're just 
be in the right spot at the right time. Yeah, it's just uh, they're making a circle. We this other place was at. There was a lot of pressure, and you could tell by we put a trail camera out or two trail cameras out, I and mean, we could tell that they were making a circle going from beans to corns in like a two-day period. But that was every time we went in there, which we today's been the first day we have not had somebody come in on us or something. We had somebody yesterday. On, he unlocked the gate and drove back here and was parked halfway back by us. So I don't, what he was doing, we don't really know, but somehow or another he had a key to the gate and come on back. But there's a lot of pressure, but uh, the deer's here, and we're being patient, and we're sticking with it. So the hunt's already have been a success with Jacob getting his, and, and we're seeing them. So we just we just got to have the, the perfect time. So, you know, we just you got to make your own luck, and, and being there is, is a big part of that. So when we're here and we're doing it, so. Yeah, kids, the weather. If you're, if you're coming to a hunt like this, the weather. If you know that the weather changed, if you're at the if you're north end of your zone, you see the weather's better or colder at the lower, you might want to look at different areas, lower and mid or upper. That colder temperature is going to be the best bet. Just don't put your mind on one spot and stick to it, because if you don't ever get the temperatures there, you you may miss out on your hunt. You may need to move around, open your options out, whether it's left, right, north, south to find that prime temperature zone because that's going to be a key to success. Definitely colder over at. So it's, I think tomorrow high is going to be tomorrow high is going to be 7 I it's think. Fi- so. It's 15 degrees difference difference within not even 22 miles. Yeah. 22 miles that's 15 degree difference in snow. Yeah, the 4 so, inch difference in snow. So. And that's that's just major difference. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's pretty unique about the area we're in, the 100 and something mile area top to bottom I think so the temperature change and then the snow difference, so, and that, yeah. that's something to keep in mind is is how you want to use your strategy. Was it one area we was at that the deer was not even put together yet? They're all single deer, single deer, and the deer 22 miles lower are already put together in groups. So that's why I'm saying you might want to look at different temperature zones. It's changed because it's not even got cold enough up north for them to even group up yet. Right. And that's the one thing about having a group of us like that where you're we're scattered out and using different eyes and different different things that we're seeing and putting all our minds together to make this hunt pretty successful. So that's, that's, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, I know that right before we left and we found that river bottom unit, I, I messaged y'all or talked to y'all and I was like, listen, y'all don't worry about these hills. I was like, this is where you need to be. Like, this is where the deer are where the food is like everything just looked right and um it seems like that was that was the case even where jacob was hunting uh seemed to be any of those river bottom units were just really holding deer yeah i think the first night we put a camera out on that one area we had a, a decent eight or ten point but it's like two o'clock in the morning you can tell which way they, that they were making the circle and then the cell cam that uh that you put out for me up in the hill somewhere has been out for what three weeks or so now and there's been one buck on it and you know quite a few does got a raccoon pattern pretty good and a, and a fox squirrel but other than that so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to i think you kind of you know gar hold me on that camera there mr pike you know you're supposed to be finding bucks but instead you're finding fox squirrels and and coyotes <laughs> and a raccoon <laughs> at, at least at least we told y'all, uh, hey, don't go to these hills. You could have wasted some time yeah. up in there. That is true. Right. I'll give you that. So. <laughs>
And, and, well, and by having that camera out, we at least know that there's no, no yeah. bucks in there. I definitely knew not to. Uh, yeah, are you right? I definitely no. didn't know. Don't go there. Cause it's a, it's a, <laughs> oh, man. You're supposed to be the big buck finder. Then here you are putting us on that gum raccoons and fox squirrels. Man. I can't wait till I go back. the wrong unit, evidently. <laughs> I right. can't wait till I pull them other two cameras. Them other two cameras have probably got possums, armadillos on them. So. <laughs> So I, I scouted some hills today, and I noticed that there is deer. They're going north and south, but they're, they're set up for the uh, shotgun hunters. So the shotgun hunters were pushing them all through those hills and going to push down into deeper, lower land and stuff. So they may be moving up now, but the, most of the eggs on the higher end of the fields right now are all empty. There's no beans, nothing standing whatsoever. So there's no food source in the hills right now that I've seen. And all the areas I've looked through, so they're gonna have to go. They're gonna have to go down toward the rivers or to the flats for any kind of standing food. So all the hills I've seen that I went to right now to check if they've been barren of any kind of food. But I have seen deer sign. I have seen a lot of good buck sign up there. But they're and I've seen some few little deer run through there, but they're all crossing over the ridges and they're not running the ridges. They're crossing over them. That means they're heading towards some kind of food source somewhere however many miles they're traveling but they have been traveling so that seems to be the pattern of them so even though they're in the hills they may be staying up there at night but they're going through but they're traveling through them they just ain't staying there enough time to be able to pattern them so now that we've uh we kind of talked about jacobs and everything and some some of the scouting you guys have been doing you said you got about four days left so based on everything that you've had up to this point and, and everything that you're thinking going forward, I mean, what is your strategy for these last four days to kind of make it happen? Because I know y'all got another huge cold front rolling in tonight, don't you? Yeah, it's the coldest nights tonight and tomorrow night, I think. And after that, it's going to kind of warm up a little bit. we got good weather always at the end, so so we're fine. We're we're, we're in the deer the, the, by the tracks and, and what does and stuff we're seeing, and we've done seeing – Two big bachelor groups of bucks in in this uh I'm gonna say 500 acre square I guess and then uh we're gonna stick with that I'm I'm gonna sit at the same spot I sit today one more time and then see I had a a family group of does got right up on top of me there was one little stretch of beans there's three rows of beans in front of me and beans everywhere else and this one doe group right at dark had to come across this thing out of the CRP and across a little opening to cut beans and come right to me. And the little yearling, I could have shot it with a recurve, and then the mama got downwind of him and smelled me, and she just kind of raised and came a little bit, but never run off, just stood there blowing a little bit and then walked off. But uh, I seen a bunch of deer there. I'm going There's some big tracks there, and I'm going to stick it out for another day or two and then uh, maybe move to one more spot. But it, the deer's there is just trying to time it and hoping they come, the buck will come out in the daylight. So we're going to stick with that plan. There's, I mean, that's, I'm not going to leave deer to go look for any other one, so gonna stick with them so our tips are we're kind of looking for the when we look at these bean fields and these flats we're looking for like low low depressions and stuff if you kind of look at the fields you can kind of see that there's like little dark spots at the bottom of the grounds that the trees that's where the water kind of stands up when it does flood and that's showing the little depression or little creeks the deer are coming out the lowest area because of the wind so they're laying that crp that's on the edge of those trees and that lower depression to get out of that wind. So when it gets right at dark and stuff, they'll come out of those lower depressions into those bean fields and stuff. 
So those are kind of the little areas that you can kind of see from far distance with you and your glasses to see those little dark lines on the edges. If you really look, you'll notice there's very few of those, but those are your starting points to be able to look. If you sit out about a thousand, two or thousand yards away from them, you'll be able to see deer maybe funnel out. Then you'll be able to figure out exactly where they might be coming out to be able to keen in on where you might want to set up at. That's kind of what we've been doing the past couple of days to trying to figure out where we might need to be if they're coming out in those areas. Interesting. So I got I got one more big question about something you guys mentioned earlier, which when uh especially a guy, you know, sitting over here in Alabama I've never hunted a situation like that. This is the first experience for all y'all as far as I know. When people talk about that bed-to-food pattern, you know, I'm thinking they're laying in the CRP and they're walking out into the cornfield and eating. But you guys just mentioned something about possibly some kind of cycle where they're making a loop where they might be in this bedding area one day and then and then hit, hit this field and then a different bedding area and then hit that field. Are you guys seeing them? uh sticking to certain areas or do you think that they are making those those kind of loops and kind of making the rounds okay that loop area was like a, a lake area and they had a bunch of on say like eight or ten different fields some of it was standing corn some of it was cut corn and, and one of them was a big old huge bean field and by what cameras we put out you could tell that they were making a circle and then if they were making it exactly the same every night we're not sure yet because we pulled the camera after two nights but you could tell by the by their tracks and by the by the, the camera that they were just making a circle going from soybeans to, to cut corn to standing corn, which still had a bunch of corn in the standing corn. But there was a lot of pressure in the area when we kind of moved to a different place because it was hard to tell where they were going to be at a certain night because they didn't, they didn't have to go to one spot. The place we're at now with the CRP as big as it is and the, and the limited amount of standing beans and stuff has it's got them more to a specific spot where you can kind of know where they're going to be at it's just being within shot range so this is going to be this is uh, the better scenario for us right now but yeah, the other the other place was cool like especially if it had been early season there was so many unique pinch points if it had been the rut or pre-rut you could have yeah. set up in a pinch point or a funnel area and had a blast you could have seen ain't no telling how many deer yeah it had like a triangle of a crp slash wooded area that separated the bean field slash corn fields so whether we are from the camera location, what made sense was us going from the bean fields through a very thick thorny woods and to come out into the corn fields and they would have hooked around and made like a, a little J hook or hook into that triangle of CRP slash really good cover next to a river system that blocked it off. So they were very protected. It, it, it made sense. But most of the local hunters that they were hunting at, the pressure they were getting were all hunted primarily on the fields, like on top of the fields. No one ever really hunted the main areas that was going through the travel corridors and stuff. That's what's unique about us southern hunters. We were, we do a lot of travel hunt for corridors and stuff. They primarily do their ag because they're like limited in certain things and they have the primary food source they hunt over. So that's what's unique for us coming as we're used to you know, trying to get them going to food, and they're, they're on the food, which is very unique. But that's the the very, that's what's cool about this hunt is we get to see both avenues of what we normally don't, wouldn't see. Right, because we're never sitting on the field or anything like that at home. But but here, the the way that because of the weather, it's so cold, they're not going to waste their time traveling around a whole month, so they're bedding close to the food. So 
trying to catch them going back to the bed is almost impossible because they're going they're back at it before daylight so so we're trying to catch them coming out of the bed to the food and and it's standing corner beans or or cut corner beans either one you just kind of find the the snow if we'd have more snow it would help a little bit because you can tell their tracks are fresher because yeah, the ground froze hard as rocks so sign fresh tracks and dirt is nearly impossible but but and but it's, I'm telling you, this is a cool place. I mean, yeah. if you could come here every year during a rut or something, man, it would be amazing. Even yeah. this hunt, this hunt is, is cool. So, yeah. ag aggregation runoff, where they have those little the runoff spots where the fields run off is pretty, where the CRP kind of builds up where they can hide mm -hmm. into. Is, yeah. Those are the main travel areas that you have to look for, too. And that CRP stuff is head high. <laughs> so We jumped the dang yearling doe right by the truck. You could hear it running through that CRP stuff. It sounded god awful. And then, then finally we seen it hopping every now and then a couple of times. You couldn't hit it with a shotgun if you wanted to save your life. So, but, anyway, but that stuff is is incredible what they're bedding in. And you can tell if they get in there and lay down, there's no way wind can get to them. So they're completely protected. But it's 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 thick. So it's a unique situation, a unique area in it. But it's I'm glad we got to come here and see it because I, I really like it. So. Actually, that was one thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I always got some thickets. They got there's some thickets in this place. I've everybody I've talked to or, or listened to kind of said, well, there ain't nothing thicker. Shoot, there's thickets where you can't see three foot in it. So uh, I, I, I gotta say this old Michael Pike. Michael Pike's on here. Michael Pike was like, man, there's a lot of open stuff. Man, it's just kind of open. I'm like, yeah. it might be on them hills, but not on the dang river bottom. They can jump five foot and you won't see them. That's why they probably move down and when it gets real cold because they don't have enough thermal cover up on them hills. So, but down them bottoms, they they can. They can jump from a field five foot into into that CRP, and there's no way wind can get to them, and there's no way a human can get to them without them without them knowing it. So, and, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about was just the you know, my, my preconceived notion of the Midwest was like, man, there's not that much thick cover compared to like what we deal in the Southeast, and like proportionally wise, I'd say that's probably true. You know, proportionally wise, we probably have you know on the landscape more extreme thick cover, but they still have some super thick stuff out here especially like kind of in the agriculture areas, just areas where it's just like you got real, a lot of brush. Uh, I mean, I've seen some stuff in the last couple of days. I'm just like, dude, this is, I mean, it's ridiculous. Because I mean, it's also, you got to think about this, you know, Alabama, it gets cold, but, you know, there's still like some green briar that's got a little bit of leaves on it and stuff. But down here, it's complete, everything's brown. Everything's brown except with the exception Matthew pointed out. Some of them fields, I don't know if they've overseeded something, but you can see a light tint of green and some little bitty sprouts coming up when the sun warms up, so. But other than that, out in the woods, it is dirt brown as far as everything. There's no any kind of green browse that we can see. That might be something brown that they nibble on, but yep. everything else is dead brown. So, well, it, it gives you the kind of the perspective of though. There, there's a lot of there's a lot more thick cover than, than given. I guess well, I thought preconceived notions that were a lot more thick cover than I thought, and also just the, how the deer use that cover is is just really interesting because again, a lot of those other guys from you know people we've talked to. You know, from the locals' perspective, don't want to hunt that stuff just because it's kind of a little more intimidating. Just because as much thick cover as there is, I mean, you're a lot more limited on shot opportunities, especially in some of that more flatland stuff when you get around some of these different river systems. It's just, it can be extremely challenging. Even though, yeah, you're hunting ag, you know, there's agriculture around there. It's still like a challenge to be able to kind of find and look at and, and target, you know, those specific uh, spots that these bucks are going to be popping out in. So, you know, it's got its challenges, but I'll say this. You know, I was been a really cool experience to kind of figure out, you know, and talk to other like successful local guys of like what it takes to be successful, successful when it comes to targeting that kind of upper echelon kind of bucks. 
which gives me like a different perspective of, you know, you can't compare an an Iowa 160 to an Alabama 160. Like it, it's like kind of a different uh, mindset. I think is yeah, they're both white tails, but when it comes to density of bucks and also just the overall opportunity in the landscape, kind of the way I'd, I've been describing to every, I think everybody in this room and everybody on this podcast is. You know, the way I look at it from out here, you know, these guys, you know, they're passing – some of these guys passing, you know, 140s, 150s, 160s to try to shoot a 170, 180, 190. And it's like – the way I look at it is like the guys in Alabama that are passing, you know, a 100-inch buck to try to shoot something bigger it would be like a guy out here trying to pass a 140 just because there's, you know, potentially that many of those kind of bucks out here in some of these areas. And then you start getting up to, you know, getting a guy in Alabama that's trying to pass a, a 120 because he's wanting to try to shoot something bigger, which, you know, we know guys are like that. You know, that's like passing, you know, out here, you know, 160, you know, kind of potentially wise. And then you get the guys out here that are trying to shoot a 180. I feel like that in Alabama, you're trying to shoot like a 140-plus-inch buck in Alabama, especially on public land. You know, you just not many guys do that, uh, especially consistently. And you start getting bigger and bigger and kind of that kind of, kind of replicates. Uh, but it's just, it's just different. I look at it as a di- totally different perspective of how these guys are going out here and, and, uh, and hunting. And just, again, a little bit different perspective on the um, – uh, you know, what they're shooting versus, like, what we have back home. It's just – it's not apples to apples is right. probably the best way to yeah, put it. Yeah, it's completely different. Like, like our, our goal or my goal is a three-and-a-half-year-old deer on public land. So, and in Alabama, that might be a 90-inch deer. It might be a 100-inch deer, and it could possibly be a 120. But the chance of it being anything bigger than that is pretty slim. We're here – a three-and-a-half could be a 140. I think uh, Randall said he killed a, a two-and-a-half that was a 160 or something like yeah. that. But it, anyway, he had it aged by by the tooth method where they cut the tooth, and it was a two-and-a-half-year-old deer that scored 160. So that's pretty incredible. That's not going to happen in Alabama. So nah. it, it's, it's wherever you're at, and it's what goes you want. But, you know, here, it's Iowa, it's the land of monsters. To me, you know, Iowa and Saskatchewan or something like that is – there's two dream places to hunt for for big bucks, and we're really enjoying it. And they are here, there ain't no doubt. So we're gonna have fun with it and stick it out for the next five days, and we'll see. That's awesome, man. I'm excited for y'all. I hope Jacob's already had some luck. Michael, I hope y'all kill one too, man. Uh, it seems like y'all are all over him, so that'd just be a nice bow around it to see you guys get one. But uh, Jacob, is there anything else you had? I mean. Oh, there's 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 all kinds of things. Uh, I mean, we, could, we, could, we could be on here for four hours. We could talk oh, about whatever. Yeah, I mean, uh, if it, if it would have been about ten degrees warmer, I'd have busted this big nanny I was eating but <laughs> fifty yards, and it was tempting, but it was too dang cold. Be messing with the with the dough. Uh, my brother said, "I'd have been so mad at you if you'd busted the dough <laughs> with zero degrees trying to core that thing up." But anyway, we're gonna wait on a a, a decent deer anyway and see. So yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's just a cool opportunity. It's a cool experience. You know, I know guys that are on this same hunt right now. That's just they're they're kind of struggling a little bit right now, just trying to find deer. It's not like it's not every cut cornfield or bean field is going to have the bu- the bucks. It's like it's little pockets, kind of like what we talked about back home. Like you know, when the pressure gets hard, you know, gets you know heavy back in Alabama, it's like they, you'll find pockets of like those bucks and all those deer. Uh, they won't just be everywhere. It's the same thing out here. It's not not every cut cornfield is going to have you know ten bucks in it. Um, and I actually went and scouted some cut cornfields today, dude. I mean primo looking stuff, and had very little deer sign in it. Like very little deer sign. When you're doing late season, you slow down a little bit. Just because you don't see the big buck sign, don't mean you're here because they're not making buck sign during eating to survive. Yeah. So you need to think that think about that. 
Mm-hmm. You may see some small signs, buck signs, but they got to feed to survive this late season. So the chances of you seeing a monster this time of year is highly likely. Absolutely. And it's like, it gets to the aspect of like, you know, you're trying to find tracks. Like that's the only thing you really key in right now. It's like, you got to, if you're not cutting tracks, dude, and you're not cutting quality tracks, it's not worth probably spending your time there. And that's kind of like what was the spot I went to today. I, I covered about a mile and a half after stabbing my thought. Well, I didn't tell you that, Perry. Freaking fell, fell in a bob wire fence today. I was trying to cross this little dirty drainage, and there was a bob wire fence that was laid over at 45 degree angles. I didn't even see it. I come hauling through it, and I fall over the top of it. And it, I get a barb. I probably need to go get a tetanus shot for real. And it went all the way in, all the way up to the knuckle in the barbed wire. And I try to pull it out. And I try to pull straight up. And it was pull my. Anyways, I had to pull straight back. Yeah, ew, it was it was bad, dude. I got blood all on my on my bit or my uh, base layers on here. You sure it wasn't a briar bush? Cause Matthew's got a briar on him. He wanted to have cut out when he goes home. So. Oh no no no, it was barbed wire. <laughs> I should have took a photo of it for you. I, you could see the one barbed wire that went in me because it was clean compared to all the uh, other pieces of the barbed wire. Uh, uh, Oh, yeah, the, the locusts. Yeah, there's a lot of locusts out here, like honey locusts and black locusts. And, dude, you get one of those bad boys, man. That, that, that's briars. That's over like six inches long. <laughs> yeah, those are the kind of trees yeah. you like back home. You're like, dude, those are the uh, tractor tire killers, dude. And I think kookaburras, and there's some other thing that's like a miniature kookaburra. We've had them things all over us. They just, they wad up your flea stuff, and you have to pick them things out of you. About those uh, little miniature ones, uh, me and Clay were out there, and we're like, we don't even know what to look for. So, like, if somebody knows what those are, like, I mean, we tried to look around like you were in them before you knew it, and you were just covered in them. Like, and and that happened multiple times. I spent like a couple of hours one day, uh, sitting in the vehicle just picking those off, and then uh, I ended up going out the next day and not knowing what they look like. I got right back in them again and had to do the same thing over again. Yeah, we don't know where we got them. Them things all over you. So they're down in that CRP stuff. They're all down <laughs> in that crap. Um, but no, I mean, other than that, it's just it's been a cool experience, you know. Still got some time left. I really want Perry to shoot one before I got to leave for ATA, because uh, we got ATA coming up. We're gonna be most likely, from what it looks like, I'm probably just gonna be leaving straight here, probably on Friday to ATA uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, and go straight there and just you know kind of go through that whole experience. But hopefully, Perry kills one we'll try. before that, because I, I want to be on the drag team. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm fired up. I'm ready. I'm ready to get out there in some frigid weather and be out there in a t-shirt, and just getting after it. Yeah, we're gonna be after. Another unique thing is, as Matthew seen a group of six bucks, and uh, two of them was sparring around and, and got to fighting pretty good, while a big one was kind of laid back. So that was pretty unique. You know, we were Jacob said something, but I, I've got some horns. You know, what reckon what would happen if we tickle some horns together outside that CRP? Well, there was two sparring with, in that group that he seen. So. Yeah, the taxidermist I took my uh, my deer to to get caved off, he actually said that. I asked him, like, how crazy would it be to, like, do some light rattle in late season? He's like, oh, dude, he's like, every time I hunt in late season, I take my antlers with me and, and rattle. Uh, and the reason why he says the bucks are still sparring and um, he's like, I've seen big deer. He's like, I've seen uh, like he's like, I saw like a 190 inch buck a couple of years ago breed a doe fawn on January 10th, which is the last day of the, of the late season hunt. Uh, so he's like, you know, it's still happening right now, especially these areas with higher deer densities. So I'm like, kind of gave me a new kind of found respect. I mean, I got yeah, the rattling antlers. I'll give them to you, yeah, man. That's so unique. Little little little, little, little tinging. Uh, actually, I don't know these these uh these uh. Iowa deer might not might not do a little Alabama rattle sequence. You might need you might <laughs> yeah. need a little more a little more oomph to yeah. it. More base. Yeah, I mean, base I mean, you're talking. <laughs> yep. Hey, that's another thing. So my deer, I didn't say this earlier. So when I actually boned out and skinned my deer, dude, he had like 
like just a little bit of kidney fat on it. He had like no fat, like exterior fat, which I was really surprised. I thought he'd have all his back fat. And when I was telling the taxidermist that, he was saying, um, just again, based off the deer's size and everything, uh, he's like, dude, that deer, he's like, if you would have saw him in October, he would have been a hoss. He's like, that deer probably was going to be, you know, anywhere between 275 to probably 290 potentially, uh, you know, pre-rut, um, just when he kind of had all that fat on him. And he got kind of leaned out after the words, but I'm like, that's just crazy to think about that, dude. Yeah. You know, potentially killing a buck that's that big. I'm like, God, that's crazy. Yeah, so. they're they're built different up here. They're built definitely big. So, yep, body and racks. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a fun experience. Maybe maybe we can uh, get drawn again in the near future or anytime soon, and uh, and try to come back up and, and try this again. Uh, well, we, we've really fun. enjoyed it. Enjoyed being here with you, and 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 we got glad that Dilla and, and the Clay got to come up here and do a little pre-scouting for us. That we eliminate a few areas. To, Knock him, knock him possums and raccoons and fox squirrels out of the way. So. Yeah, hey, listen, Perry brought his shotgun up here just because of uh, Michael's truck <laughs> yeah, just, strategy, like yeah. a small game. He's like, man, yeah, I know some exactly squirrels. Right. I, I, I know where a fox squirrel is. <laughs> so I bring my shotgun. Thanks, Dylan. <laughs> I brought my shotgun just for you. <laughs> the other one had, uh, had a couple of good bucks on it before I left. You didn't tell me that. You said that was your camera. No, that's your camera. Well, you didn't give me that information. Now, say now it's the end of the hunt. Now you're telling me. <laughs> I see you got you got three cameras up there. Right. And Clay's got one too. See, but he hasn't sent me any picture. But he said a doe come by the other day or something. So, but oh, uh, well, here's the cell camera. I just wanted you to see the small game stuff of cell camera. <laughs> okay. You want me to work for them other two cameras? Well, I'll, I'll, we'll try to pull them before we leave. So. They'll probably have a 180 or a 190 or something on there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they're probably on a river bottom somewhere, I bet. But. No, but this cool experience, man. Cool experience again. Yeah. I, I, I said this uh, to a couple people on social media. I might listen. I don't know if I'm ever going to uh, say – well, I probably will. I'm just going to kind of contradict myself right now. But, you know, I told some guys, I'm, like, I'm never going to complain about being cold in Alabama again, but no. I probably will. And I've seen the first thing I hadn't seen in about five or six years is a covey of quail. We jumped a covey of quail today walking in. So. I, I, saw, I saw some on the side of the road. I, I, there was a covey on the side of the road, the little road that gets back wow. out to the spot. There's some cut corner thing, and they were sitting right there eating, and they flew wow. up. That's so, cool. Andrew, we got to bring the dogs. Yeah, yeah plenty of plenty of – Plenty of ducks and geese, uh, nonstop geese and duck action. Yeah. And they do have the pileated woodpecker here. Yeah, <laughs> no, and they, they, they go to town, too. Yeah, I heard so. one. I was like, man, I'm like, who's doing this? Because I, I hadn't seen one in a while up here. And then, like, a couple of days ago, I was sitting – actually, the spot the day I shot that book, I was sitting there. I'm like, man, who's working on – because – there's there, there's some houses kind of on the other side of the right. little river right there, and I'm like, man, someone over there working some uh, some timber, like just knocking on working on some wood, and next thing I know, it flies up behind me, gets on the cottonwood a couple of yards behind me, and just goes to town. I'm like, oh, that's what it was. So that I was like, cottonwood sounds like a beating on a fifty five gallon drum. It does so loud. It's like, dude, it's crazy. So anyway, bald eagles up everywhere, every day, everywhere, amazing. It's like being home and seeing crows, dude. It's like they ain't special no more when you see them up here. Back home. Back home, it's like, oh, man, I saw a bald eagle. Up here, it's like, oh, man, it's a yeah. bald eagle. Every day, several of them. So. Yep. <laughs> I thought I seen a golden eagle. I'm not for sure. It was a big one, but it didn't have a bald head. So. Yeah, see, golden eagles are cool, man. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because all the little – let me say that. All the little rivers up here, dude, have, like, icebergs. I mean, there's, like, ice across them, like, broken ice. And I went down to one little river a couple of days ago, and, yeah, I saw a bald, I saw a bald eagle on the ice, a little a piece of ice, sit just fly down, just sit, sit on the ice, go down the river, dude. 
It's like chilling. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, floating down, trying to go find yeah. some warmer weather down south. Yeah, they're floating floating rapids <laughs> on icebergs. <laughs> anyway, it's been a cool experience so far, so we're pumped about it. It's again it gives you a new, newfound perspective. Like, uh, Michael, like I told you, you know, when coming up here, it's like, well, let me ask, is this your first whitetail hunt outside of, like, Alabama and Canada? Outside of the state of Alabama? I've done an Illinois public land hunt one year. Okay. So, so well. It wasn't near as good as this. I did see, I passed up about a 110 or something, but it was only only rack buck I think I've seen on an early hunt. So. Wyoming. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I've done Wyoming. Wyoming so. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, so, so where I was trying to get at is um, one thing I, I told you on the way up here and everything else is like, the, to me, the more states you hunt and the more areas that you hunt, the better well-rounded hunter and woodsman you become because you can kind of figure out what might work here might not work back in Alabama, but you might, you might find something here that you can take away from to then use on future hunts, whether it's in, you know, similar habitat, maybe you go to a different state or whatever. And you've kind of seen some of these different things. It's, it's really interesting to kind of test yourself and go to some of these different places and, and see how it plays out. Uh, and you just learn so much from it again, what to do, what not to do um, and different things that you can have takeaways from. So it's always worth doing these out of state trips and, and again, going in, you know, like like I did, like I told you, going in with a a positive, you know, positive mindset, like no pressure. Let's go have fun. You know, if we shoot a deer, great. If we don't shoot a buck, no big deal. Let's just have a good time. Yeah, so. you gotta enjoy this stuff like this with like my brother. Like he's in the army. He's on leave with us. And then with Jacob, you know, friends and 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 family is all this stuff is it makes the best experiences whether you kill anything or not. So we're we're in them. We're on them. The hunts are great, and you know, and it's gonna get better. So we're we're having a blast. Yep. So, so stay tuned. Listen, Perry's got Perry's got a few more days left, so uh, could get real exciting up here in the next few days, especially with the weather coming in. So we're we're, we're pumped. Hopefully, I can get one took care of and then and uh, give Andrew something to look at with that shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> a big old fox squirrel, son. <laughs> Dude, there's there's, and there's got that hit list fox squirrel coming up. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get a buck kill, I'm, trust me, I'll go after the fox squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, anyways, other than that, guys, appreciate everybody listening. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Well, Andrew, Mike, you got anything else over there? That's all I got. Good luck, boys. Y'all lay down another one. Tag appreciate out it. while you're up there. Appreciate it. We're Y'all gonna stay it. Southern. We'll stay Southern. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed 
for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.